Well, if you want to go ahead, open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, which is where we are this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're in verses 10 to 24. Um, we are at, we've come to the last sermon in the series that we've been going through for the last kind of 60 weeks uh, called Real Life. Um, and over the last uh, number of weeks, we've been in Ephesians thinking about marriage and family uh, and work, and now we're thinking about war. So Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just going to read those uh, verses to us, and then we're going to see what the Lord would have for us to, to hear this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Hear the word of the living God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints and also for me that my words would be, may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let me just pray for us as we come before God's word. Father, we pray in this moment for humble and contrite hearts, for hearts that tremble at your word. Father, would you help us to hear it and to receive it with humility and trust and obedience and give us the help we need to live these things out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So on the 9th of April, 1940, Despite, despite declaring themselves neutral in the war, Denmark and Norway were both invaded by Nazi Germany. And the same thing happened to Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg only one month later. They declared themselves neutral, but they were still invaded. When it comes to war in this world, there really is no such thing as neutral. Neutrality is kind of something of a myth. Ephesians 6 this morning reveals to you and me that this world is in the midst of a spiritual war. We have an enemy, Satan, who is seeking to destroy us, and neutrality for you and me this morning is not an option. Active resistance is required and what is called of us. So if you're a Christian here this morning, this morning is here to remind you that we are at war. We are at war and we need to live like it. If you're not a Christian here this morning, 
then these verses are here to tell you, uh, no matter how unbelievable you might think they are, that this world is not just flesh and blood and material. It is spiritual. Evil exists. How do you account for that? If humans are so advanced and so good, why are we so bent on murdering and harming each other? How do you explain the, the depths of the evil that go on in our lives and in this world? What is God going to do about that, and is there any hope that it can be overcome? Ephesians 6 speaks to you this morning, and then maybe as a church, we have to consider that our mission, our gathering, our discipleship, our evangelism, our love for one another, all takes place in the context of a battle. All takes place in the context of war. What we do here, what we're doing here this morning, what we do as a church, it's not recreational. This is resistance. This is war. And we must do it together. So the response that's called of us this morning here is this, to stand firm in the midst of spiritual battle, to stand firm in the midst of spiritual warfare. I'm just going to switch to a mic quickly. because. So first thing we see this morning, there you go, you can hear me now. In the midst of spiritual warfare, we must stand firm. Ephesians 6, 10 to 11, if you look down. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the word finally there kind of hints towards everything that's come before. Paul's kind of summing up everything he's been teaching in light of everything that God has been saying through him. In Ephesians 1 to 6, we need to hear what he has to say here. Ephesians, which has been all about God's cosmic eternal plan of redemption in Christ, which is now being fulfilled through the church in this age. And we see kind of uh, in Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 23, uh, Ephesians 1, 19 to 23 reminds us what Christ has accomplished on the cross and where he is now. It says in verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he's put all things under his feet. So the context for our, for the church's faithful living in this age, is that Christ has already dealt the death blow to sin, to death, and to hell on the cross. Redemption, resurrection, new creation, those things have been bought and paid for. They've been sealed within us by the Spirit yet the battle still goes on until the victory is finally won when Jesus returns. That victory has been secured on the cross, but until it is fully realized, the war, so to speak, has been won, but the battle still goes on. It's kind of like the difference between D-Day and V-Day, if you want to think about it that way. D-Day, really, in many ways, was the, the kind of turning point, the, the death blow. It was the beginning of the end, but the battle still raged on until V-Day. Until Jesus returns, you and I and the church are still at war, so we are to stand firm. We are to endure. We're to not fall into sin. How do we stand firm? Well, we do it in the Lord's strength. We are called to be strong, but I don't know about you. Spiritually speaking, I'm weak. We are weak. We need the Lord's strength. And the question then is, 
how strong is he? Well, Ephesians 1.19, as we just read, says his strength is immeasurably great. You can't measure his strength. It's the strength that raised Christ from the dead. He is strong enough to raise Jesus from death to life. That's how strong he is. Satan is powerful. Ephesians 2.2 describes him as the prince of the power of the air, but he is totally subservient to God. Jesus rules over all authorities and powers and dominions. And it's a power and strength that if you are a Christian, it's a power and a strength that is already at work in you. Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You already have that power. Ephesians 3.20, according to the power at work within us. So how do we be strong? How do we grow in this strength? We do it by putting on his armor. We stand firm in the Lord's strength. We stand firm with God's whole armor. What is that armor? Well, we're going to unpack that in just a moment. But armor communicates to us that we are in a war, that we're in a battle, doesn't it? And we're to put it on, verse 11, we're to take it up, verse 13. There's an active resistance here to what we're being called to, not passive. And the idea of putting on and taking up that idea that we've seen previously in Ephesians, it's like putting clothes on. We need to get dressed for war. Do you get dressed for war every morning? We need to get dressed for war. We need the whole armor, not just some of it. We need all of it. And why do we need God's armor? Because as we've already noted, our battle is not physical, it's spiritual. It's spiritual warfare we're engaged in. We need God's armor. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's what that means in verse 12. And where do we get this armor from? Do we need to go looking for it? If we are in Christ The armor is already ours. We already have it. We are already, in a sense, wearing it if we're united to Jesus by faith. And as we'll see in a moment, verse 10 to 17 ultimately describes our warrior king, Jesus. So we're to stand firm in the Lord's strength with with God's whole armor, and we're to stand against Satan and his allies, the rulers, authorities, and the cosmic powers. So who is Satan? How does he work? What is his aim? Well, he is the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was there from the beginning in Genesis 3. And you and I all once followed him. We were all once his sons, as Ephesians 2 tells us. He is a liar and a deceiver. John 8, 44 really is one of the most um, detailed descriptions of Satan. Uh, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders who had rejected him says this, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we see that Satan is a murderer. He is a liar. He does not stand in the truth. That's what he tried to do in the garden, kill them by lying to them. He's a murderer who's seeking to eternally destroy each one of us. And the counter to his lies is the truth of the gospel, which is what we'll see in a moment. We need to recognize that he's aggressively active. The picture the Bible gives us is of him being a prowling, roaring lion, seeking to devour us. But 
Jesus has already triumphed over him. We need to read Ephesians 6 in order, like we've been doing over the last few weeks. Ephesians 1, 19 to 23, Jesus is already reigning over him. Colossians 2, 15, on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, the rulers and authorities that it talks about here. He's disarmed them and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Satan has been dealt his death blow. Matthew 12 tells us that Jesus has bound him. He's been bound, therefore the gospel can now advance. Jesus guarantees the salvation of sinners. The building of the church can't be stopped. And one day Jesus will eternally destroy him. Revelation 20, he will be thrown into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So he is active. He's seeking to devour but the death blow has been dealt. Therefore, we do not need to fear. He cannot overcome us. So we need to be aware that we are at war and that that war is a spiritual war. From our most difficult moments in life to our everyday interactions and conversations, from the cancer diagnosis to the conversation over coffee, from our Sunday worship gatherings to our prayer gatherings to small group, Our walk with Jesus takes place in the context of war. There's a battle raging for the affections of my heart and your heart. Do we view it that way? Does our life reflect that kind of urgency, that kind of gravity, that kind of resistance? So we not only war against our own sin and flesh, which we do, but we also war against Satan. This world is not neutral. Our own flesh is not neutral, and this world is not neutral. This is why becoming a Christian and evangelizing is so hard, because Satan blinds and deceives and doesn't want people to leave his kingdom of darkness, yet the gospel can save and transform. This is why putting on Christ-like character, like we're called to in Ephesians 4 to 5, that's why it's so hard. Satan doesn't want it to happen. This is why relationships, both within the home and the church, are often so hard because Satan is seeking to get a foothold in between them. This is why being the church is so hard. It's a gloriously wonderful and joyful thing, but it's a hard thing because Satan sees Jesus building it and he wants to do everything within his power to crush it. But in the end, he won't. In the end, he can't. We need to depend on the strength of the Lord, and we need to know who our enemy is. It's another big implication of these first few verses. We must not be ignorant both of Satan's existence and of his schemes, of how he works. So for some of this, this will be a wake-up call to some of us who underplay or maybe who are indifferent to Satan's schemes and devices. This is a bit of a wake-up call. Satan is active. You and I cannot afford to be passive in our walk. This is not a walk in the park. This is not a recreational thing we do here. And it's also a warning to those who might overplay Satan's role in this world and are fearful of him. We must hold Ephesians 1 highly. Satan, though he is active and aggressive, is not the primary character in God's word. God is, and the triumphant work of Jesus on the cross is the primary emphasis of God's Word. Satan cannot overcome or dwell within us. Neither can any rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, demons, or spirits. 
He who is in us is greater than he is in the world. So in one sense, Satan is working behind the scenes of all sin, evil, and misery. So yes, we're to be aware of how he works. We're not to be naive to that, but our focus is to be on standing firm and strengthening our faith, not trying to figure out if Satan is trying to attack us. We're to be aware of his schemes. We're not to be naive, but our focus is not to try and figure out if he's doing it in this situation or that situation. It's to focus on standing firm and strengthening our faith. And even though Satan is part of the picture and is at work in temptation and sin, Scripture always focuses on the individual response of the person. He holds individuals morally responsible. The call is always to repentance and faith in the midst of sin and suffering. James 1 tells us that we are responsible for our sin. Satan's active, yes, he tempts, but we are ultimately responsible for our sin. So no, the devil didn't make you do it. He was at work to tempt. As David Powelson says, um, the author who's written the book around spiritual warfare, he says, do speak of the devil, but don't talk too much about him. He's not the primary character. So how do we resist and fight back against Satan? Well, by putting on the armor of God. That's the second thing we see here. In the midst of spiritual warfare, we must stand firm and secondly, suit up. As we read these verses in 10 to 17, it gives us a great illustration of the armor of God, but our mind isn't to become too occupied with the kind of picture of armor. It's a helpful metaphor. Ultimately, what Paul's wanting us to do here is think of Jesus. All of these references here to the pieces of armor come from the Old Testament, and they're all spoken of about Jesus, about the promised messianic warrior king from places like Isaiah 11, 49, and 52. So when you read the, the armor of God, don't think Roman soldier, think the warrior king, Jesus, who was promised in the Old Testament and who has now come. And when we are united to him by faith, when we are in him, these weapons become ours. His strength becomes ours. We participate in what he is doing in the world as he wages war against Satan. So in him, we don't need to find this weaponry. We have it. We have all we need. To put on the armor then, so if we already have it, what does it mean to put it on? To put it on is to continue to do what, really what Ephesians has already been calling us to do. As those who are in Christ, it's, Ephesians 6 isn't some new section or kind of some new page break in what God's calling us to do as Christians in the book of Ephesians. It's to become who we are in Christ. It's to put on and put off like Ephesians 4 told us, same language. To put off the old self and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's continuing to rest in and receive the identity we already have in Christ and then to grow in Christ-like character. Really, Ephesians 6 is telling us that our walk, the walk that we're being called to in Ephesians, our walk is our weaponry to become more like Christ, to put on Christ-like character and virtues. That is our weaponry. Our walk is our weaponry. Again, David Powelson says this, which is helpful. He says, standing against evil is not a separate topic from the one another passages in Ephesians 4 and 5. We stand against evil and shine light into darkness as we live out Paul's call to be kind to one another, to be tender-hearted, to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's war. That's fighting. 
So what is this armor that we're to put on? Well, first of all, the belt of truth. We're held together by truth. The idea of fastened, secured, held together. And the belt, of course, is central, isn't it? It's around your waist. It's what keeps everything together. That's what the truth does. It holds us together. We are saved by the word of truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We're changed, sanctified by truth. We are to speak the truth and love to one another. We're to speak the truth with one another rather than falsehood. Without the truth of God's word and the gospel, we have nothing. That's what holds us together. And truth is critical and central because Satan's main main scheme is lies. We need truth to counteract the lies. In our sin and in our suffering and in our struggles, one of the most important questions we must ask ourselves is this, what lies am I believing right now? What lies am I believing about who I am in Christ, who God is, what he says, about the world, about the future? So often our sin and emotions are as a consequence, our negative emotions are a consequence of believing lies. And we need to ask ourselves, what lies am I believing? And then turn to the truth. What truths about the gospel and God's word do I need to turn to and trust in? Held together by truth and then resting in and pursuing righteousness. That's the second thing, the breastplate of righteousness. It's speaking here of our status as those who have been declared righteous. Rest in that. Jesus takes our sin, we gain his righteousness. We are declared innocent, we're declared free, we're declared guiltless. Satan would have us believe otherwise. When we are tempted to sin or to give in to sin, he wants us to question our righteous standing in Christ. But we can't undo what God in Christ has declared of us. So rest in that righteousness and then pursue righteousness. Righteousness both as a status and also as a way of life. A righteous life is to put, on the old, off, put off the old self, put on the new self. A righteous life will not be easy to live out or accepted by our culture, but it's what God calls us to and it is how we resist Satan. Pursue righteousness and rest in our righteous status. Then we see the gospel shoes. So we're held together by truth. We're to rest in and pursue righteousness. And then we're to be ready with the gospel of peace. The gospel is the good news, ultimately, of peace between us and God. In our sin, we're we're enemies of God. We're at enmity with him. But what Jesus has done on the cross means that we can now be friends with God. We can now be reconciled to him. And we are to be ready both to declare the good news of that peace to others and to be a people of gospel peace and community. We're to rest in that peace. We're to declare that peace. And then we are to be people of peace. Satan hates the gospel of peace being proclaimed and the people of God living at peace with one another. He hates that. If you look at Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, referred briefly to it already. If you just flick back a few pages. Paul calls us to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 
Often we think maybe uh, culture is our biggest threat or other things maybe. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 reveals that conflict is probably a bigger threat. Satan is waiting to pounce on unresolved conflict and anger. Do you see that? Don't give him the opportunity. Unresolved conflict and anger in the church, in our marriages, in our friendships, and in our family. That's where the war is. If we are not to allow him to get his foot in the door through unresolved conflict, then we must be on the front foot with the gospel of peace. Ready with the gospel of peace and then trusting God to shield me. You have that picture here of Satan attacking us with flaming darts, with lies and deceit and accusations. And we have a shield to protect us and and to push back, a shield of faith. And you notice the shield doesn't just stop the, the darts, it extinguishes them. It's a great picture, isn't it? It extinguishes them. It, it makes them disappear. Faith is a trust and a confidence in who God is and who we are in Him. It's trusting God to be who He says He is. It's trusting God with what He says we now are in Christ. It's holding that trust before the lies and accusations of Satan and saying, I know it's not true. And then it just extinguished. It's being attacked or accused by Satan and being able to stand assured in who God is and who we are in Him. And it's not so much that the shield is our faith. Okay, you you picture it maybe that you hold this shield and it's my faith. My faith is the shield. No, it's the one in whom our faith is placed that is the shield. You see that in the Psalms, the Lord is our shield. Because our faith is weak. Our faith often wavers. The one who put our faith in is not. He is our shield. Trusting God to shield me and then securing God's salvation. That's the helmet of salvation. So we've kind of got our belt on. We've got our shoes on. We've got our shield. What else have we got? We've got our breastplate. Now we've got our helmet on. Satan, in the midst of sin and suffering and struggle, wants us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to question if Jesus has really saved us and if Jesus is really going to do what he says he will do. The helmet of salvation reminds us that we are secure in that salvation, that Jesus has saved us, that Jesus is saving us, that Jesus will return for us. Ephesians tells us that emphatically. Ephesians tells us that God in Christ has chosen us, loved us, predestined us, adopted us, blessed us, redeemed us, forgiven us, lavished his grace upon us, given us an inheritance, given us an eternal hope. He's sealed us. He's put his spirit within us. He's at work in us. He's shown us mercy. He's made us alive. He's raised us. He's seated us. He's been merciful to us, and he has saved us. Your salvation is is all of him, and it's secure. Never allow the lies of Satan to tell you otherwise. Rest and rejoice in that salvation. 
And then we get to our final piece of armor, God's Word, the sword of the Spirit, securing God's salvation and then wielding God's Word. It's maybe the, the, the offensive part of our armor. The rest are maybe more slightly defensive. This is the offensive weapon. We must and we need to wield the Spirit-empowered Word of God in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. It's God's Spirit-empowered Word that enables us to come to know Jesus and become more like Him. It's the truth of God's Word that gives us the truth we need to, to combat Satan. We saw that with Jesus's, um, uh, Jesus's experience in the wilderness with Satan, didn't we? He wielded God's Word. He wielded God's Spirit-empowered Word. That's how He batted off the devil. So we must read it. We must meditate on it. We must pray it. We must sing it. We must embed it into our hearts we must teach it and proclaim it to others. It must be central to all that we do. It must be central to our homes, to our hearts, to our church. Our hearts are prone to hardness because of our own sin and deception from Satan's lies. We need God's Spirit-empowered Word to do surgery on our hearts every day, every moment. We're fighting on the front line. We need saving surgery every day to keep us alive. We need God's Word to perform surgery on us to keep us fighting. So that's our armor. That's who we are in Christ. We must continue to grow in these things and live them out. Yet there's something crucial that undergirds or is the foundation of all of those things, and that's what we see next. In the midst of spiritual warfare, we must stand firm, sit up, and stay alert. If you look down at verse 18, Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So here we see Paul call us to urgent and dependent prayer for ourselves and for others. And you notice how much more space he gives to prayer here than he does to the individual items of armor kind of communicates to us that the foundational, foundational and necessary um, aspect of spiritual warfare is prayer. It's prayer. Paul here is emphasizing that you and I fight primarily on our knees. That's the front line. It's how we draw on the Lord's strength. It's how we put on God's armor. It's how we stay alert. You see that as a theme in Scripture that one of the ways we are watchful or we remain, remain watchful is that we pray. It's kind of, I always think it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that the way we remain alert and watchful is on our knees with our eyes closed, sitting still. That's because we're drawing not on our own strength or our own abilities, but on the Lord's. Prayer keeps us alert by making us aware of our need for strength and the ongoing reality of sin and Satan, Jesus taught us to pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That rhythm is built into our prayer life to remind us of the war that we're in and the help that we can receive. So if we're prayerless, we're acting like it's peacetime rather than wartime. We're pretending that there's peace in our world rather than the fact that the battle still rages on. So how are we to pray? Verses 18 to 19 show us. We're to pray at all times. The battle does not give up until Jesus returns. 
So we're to pray without ceasing. We're to be constant in prayer. We're to pray with every opportunity. We're to pray at all times and we're to pray in the Spirit. Remember, it's spiritual warfare. We're to pray in the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. That's what enables us to pray. And the Spirit helps us to pray. We're to pray at all times. We're to pray in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. All prayer really means by whatever prayerful means possible, pray, okay? Pray all prayer. Pray all kinds of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, intercession. And that's what he mentions there, supplication, which is really requests. Supplication is saying, help. Help me. With all prayer and supplication and with perseverance. Expect prayer to be hard, in case you didn't already know that. That's why we need to persevere in it. Expect prayer to be hard. Satan loves prayerless people and a prayerless church. So don't lose heart. Let's keep praying. Let's be disciplined in it and let's do it together. At all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, with perseverance for all the saints. We're not just to pray for ourselves, we're to pray for each other. Praying for each other because we need to and because we get to. And we're to pray for, notice what Paul asks for prayer, for gospel opportunities, for gospel proclamation. So we're to pray with urgency in this spiritual battle. And what is it that he primarily asks prayer for? Opportunities to proclaim the gospel. That really highlights for you and me the priority we have within this spiritual battle is to advance the gospel. And it highlights the place where we will find our most significant resistance from Satan in advancing the gospel and seeking to participate in Christ's building of the church. Jesus' kingdom advances through gospel proclamation and church building. These will be Satan's most strategic points of attack. We should expect that. We should be prepared for that. And that's why we need to pray about it hard. We need to pray for gospel proclamation because Satan blinds people's minds to the gospel. We need Jesus to open them. We need to declare it. We need to be bold in that. But ultimately, we need Jesus to open people's eyes. We need to pray for gospel opportunities because we require boldness to speak out and because it will cost us. Therefore, we need courage and endurance to keep going in that. And we've already seen Paul give us two great examples of how to pray. We're not short of examples in Ephesians. There's two prayers within Ephesians of how we're to pray for the saints. So we should use Scripture to help us do that. So when it comes to personal prayer, we need to remember how critical it is and to make sure we carve out time to speak to God. And when it comes to corporate prayer, corporate prayer is essential. Praying on a Sunday morning before the service is spiritual warfare. Praying at small group on a Wednesday night for one another is war. Monthly Friday night prayer is the front line. We need to have that kind of mindset, that kind of urgency, that kind of dependency. We need to pray together because spiritual warfare is hard and because God doesn't intend for us to do it alone. 
And given how hard spiritual warfare can be and how much endurance it requires, we need some encouragement, right? And that's how Paul rounds off the letter. In the midst of spiritual warfare, we must stand firm, suit up, stay alert, but also stay encouraged, verses 21 to 24. Verse 21 to 24, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, if that's how you pronounce that, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent them to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are so that he may encourage your hearts. So we're to stay encouraged by one another. This is Paul's friend. Paul sends Tychicus to encourage the Ephesians' hearts, our hearts. Look how he speaks of them. What does he call them? Beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord. Let's be brothers and sisters who love one another, who faithfully minister to one another, and who serve to encourage one another. That's so key as we seek to endure in this battle. Stay encouraged by one another. Stay encouraged in God's love. Verse 23 to 24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Love mentioned three times. Mentioned lots already in Ephesians. We end with a reminder of the peace, of the love, of the faith, and of the grace of God towards us in Christ. Rest in that. Let that encourage your heart. And we also have an encouragement at the very end to love Jesus with an incorruptible or undying love. That's what the call is there. We are called to love with a love incorruptible, corruptible, a love that is undying a love which lasts into eternity. That's a love worth fighting for. That's a love worth living for. And it's a love that we can know because of how he's loved us. So, loved ones, beloved brothers and sisters, let's stand firm in the midst of spiritual warfare. We do so not on our own, but in Christ, with his armor, as those who benefit from his victory. He has fought and remained faithful where we have failed and been faithless. The author Ian Duguid says this, because he stood firm in his battle, because he stood firm in his battle, we Christians, weak, fearful, and unprepared, as we often are, will also ultimately stand. By faith, his righteousness becomes ours. In Christ, we have a shield of refuge in God who will never leave us nor forsake us. So let's press on. Let's keep fighting. Let's stand firm. Let's do it together. And let's do it in the strength of Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we just come before you this morning and we just ask and pray for help. We recognize that our faith is often weak, that we find it hard to trust, that we are often naive towards the schemes of Satan. Would you wake us up, Father, to the fact that this walk that you call us to is not a neutral walk, 
Father, I pray for each one of our hearts this morning that our affections would not be drawn away or distracted by things of the world, the flesh and the, and the devil, Father, but that they would be drawn back towards you. Father, help us to depend on you and to rest in your strength. And Father, we thank you for the promise that as you call us to stand firm, that you're the one who ultimately helps us and ensures that we will stand firm to the end. So we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.